Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book and chapter by chapter. And last time, oh man, I just, I loved going off, uh, going on um, Joshua 6, right? Just what a cool story, the balls of Jericho come a-tumbling down. And here, right, this is kind of something, we go from an extremely popular you know, well-known story, you know, the kind of stuff that you have like little ditties sung on uh, to something that like people really don't even know about. Um, or if they do, they're kind of like, well, this is a strange story. It doesn't, doesn't seem quite right. Um, it's, it's a kind of a two-part thing. It's, you know, Israel being defeated at I because of the sin of Achan. Achan, right? That's A-C-H-A-N. So uh, why is all of Israel punished for the sake of this one guy? It doesn't seem right. Um, or maybe do we need to adjust our sense of justice because there actually is something just about what's going on? So yeah, we're talking about those ideas about, you know, like, to what extent is it right to be judged as a group? Can guilt be born corporately. So we're going we're gonna to get into those things today. And joining us today, we have one of our returning guests. We've got Pastor um, Ingo Dutzman, who is the LCEF, that's the Lutheran Church Extension Fund Ambassador in Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, Boston, my goodness, it must be really cold and interesting up there. Good morning, brother. How are you doing? Good morning, good morning, and I actually live in Maine, even further north, where the snow is much cleaner. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember you mentioned that, right? That though it's uh, you you serve the that the the region, right? But like you actually are in Maine. That's correct. That's correct. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, I've, yes, Maine, Maine is a place I've I've got to get to. I've always been told that it's just it's just pretty. It's just. Uh, what, what's what's the word? Um, I think I think someone said something. Oh yeah, illustrious. I think is the term that someone used. <laughs> ah, yeah. Well, I would agree. I'm looking out <laughs> on a little uh, uh, finger of water um, on the island that we live on, and um, this year the water's not frozen, which it does in many years, despite it being uh, salt water. But uh, mm. Uh, this year, that hasn't happened, but we do have beautiful white snow on the ground. Very nice, very nice. Of course, uh, beautiful image that we make so many connections to that that freshly fallen snow. Uh, but today, we're taking a look at, like I was saying, this story, chapter seven of Joshua. It's a story that is, uh, I mean. It's not at all a pleasant image, like freshly fallen snow. It's a very jarring image. It's uh, Israel breaking faith, right? After after so many chapters of Israel doing the right thing, right? God speaks to Joshua. Joshua speaks to the people. The people obey, right? Everything was in sync. Everything was, you know, just humming along the way God wanted it to. Um, and then we have this act of disobedience that causes chaos, right? I mean, it's such, such a big uh, turn here going into Joshua 7. It certainly is. And, uh, well, we'll obviously get to it when you go get to those passages, but uh, uh, Joshua certainly is feeling as low as, uh, as Moses did at some times when he despaired at uh, the turn of circumstances. Yes, and that's a good comparison to make because, as always, we're very interested in the role that Joshua himself plays as 
as this man who prefigures the Lord Jesus, um, you know, he takes, as you were saying, this uh, intercessory role, the one that Moses very often took uh, throughout the wilderness wanderings of the people of Israel. So, yeah, considering this intercessory role and making the connection to our Lord Jesus will be will be a very big point today. So thank you for uh, anticipating that as well. Let's go ahead and start reading chapter 7 as we do. Would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening with us today? Of course. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord, you are a gracious God. You know all of our needs even before we ask, but you want us to ask because it allows us to increase our trust in you and our reliance upon you. Today's story is such a story, Heavenly Father, of Joshua who places his reliance on you, who follows the Lord's bidding, who thinks that he is doing everything right, but not knowing that someone in the camp has done something terribly wrong. We too, Heavenly Father, suffer under the wrongs of others, and we pray that just as you lifted up Joshua and the people in the end, you lift us up in the wonderful name of Joshua, the namesake of Joshua, Jesus the Lord, who is risen from the dead, alleluia, and who will lead us to our final home. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, let's just read, I want to read just the first verse, because it is um, it is such a quick transition here. Um, and, and it kind of, well, you should just look at the first verse and then kind of ask this question. I want to take actually just a minute to kind of backtrack um, and, and say a little bit more we didn't have a chance to get into about chapter six, uh, and then ask, ask for your thoughts about like how this is all being sequenced here. So here is Joshua chapter seven, verse, just the first verse, just verse one. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. All right, so there it is, right? So all of a sudden, anger of the Lord burned against them. I I feel like this is the first time we've heard that mentioned in the book of Joshua. Um, we we heard that lots of times in the book of Numbers, right? So maybe yeah. that's why it sounds familiar. But but here it's it's kind of all of a sudden like whoa, what? We've had six chat six chapters with everything going so well. So what's going on? It mentions the devoted things, and so if we go back to the previous chapter. Um, that that gets us to this this final part where Joshua kind of ended the chapter on a bit of an ominous note, right? And we talked about that just a little bit. That he goes and he he gives the people the instruction, right? Like that the longhorn blast is is sounding. It's time to to shout and to charge, right? But he's like, hang on a second, don't take the devoted things. He says this one more time, and he says to to say uh, to save Rahab. And so you know he gives this warning about what's going to happen. And, and then right after that, and this is the part we didn't really have a time to, to discuss it all last time, um, he, he puts a curse on Jericho, actually, when, when they're, they're finished with the city. And he says, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds the city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Um, and and it just you kind of have that put there. And then 
nothing's really done with that. It's just that, and there's this curse. So, so, th- so I'm going to kind of turn then and ask you, so what do you think about how this is being laid out for us? You know, we have this warning about the, the devoted things. We got this curse, you know, which, which Joshua pronounces. Um, and then all of a sudden it's, um, you know, right after kind of a, a high note. So the Lord was with Joshua, his fame was in all the land. We go right back to a low note. So like what, what's going on here and kind of like, like, like what's the logic of the story here, if you can put it that way? Well, the devote just a word about the devoted things. Obviously, these are among the holy things of the people of, of Jericho. And uh, in chapter uh, 618, I think, uh, is where Joshua tells the people, don't, those are meant for destruction. Don't keep any of those for yourself. And uh, obviously someone comes along now who's going to keep some of those things for himself. But the curse at the end of chapter 6 is almost like giving us a foretaste of what is to come, that indeed someone who is a member of the children of, of Israel is going to, if you will, forfeit his own right to continue to live under them, um, given his transgression. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way of putting it, right? That, I mean, we, the, the curse, of course, and this is a, this is a really interesting thing, um, in actual verse 26 in the ESV, uh, which we, which we keep reading from, there's actually this footnote X, um, and it actually references first King 16, uh, where you get this description of in the, in the days of, um, you know, Ahaz, um, this, uh, this king that we, we, we talked a little bit about, um, actually yes. when we're looking at Isaiah, um, in those days, actually Jericho was rebuilt. And it says there in first Kings that, and the guy who rebuilt the city, um, did so at the cost of his firstborn and his youngest son. So on the one hand, it kind of like just literally comes true, but a- as you were saying, kind of in the context, it's, it, it, it is sort of this, this, um, foreboding, right. Where it's like, Hey guys, there are consequences for acting contrary to God's will, right? There, there's, there's, um, there's consequences for, so to speak, uh, turning around and looking again at Sodom and Gomorrah, right. For like going back, back to the things that were supposed to be devoted to destruction. And so, um, in, in a way, I guess, kind of making that connection as you just did, it's almost as if Achan is is a uh, kind of cursing the people with his disobedience um, as as what like befalls them in in what's it's what what's about to happen. And of course, there's that uh, interesting connection. I'm sure you'll get to, but Achan has kind of a negative name, and even in English, if you think about it, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> we talk about. I am aching, right? So I am hurting. <laughs> well, achor, yeah. A-C-H-O-R, the valley of trouble, uh, Aiken's name has trouble commensurate with it. It's right, right in his name. Right. Yeah, no, that's true, right? All, all, these, all these names kind of, um, these, are, these are, of course, real figures in, in a historical setting here, but um, they also stand larger and, and uh you know, so yeah, we'll have to kind of consider, you know, like who does, you know, kind of how, how does Aiken kind of represent kind of more than just this guy from the, from the tribe of Judah. Right. Um, but then also, right. Like looking at, at Joshua and, 
you know, what, what's interesting that the last thought of about chapter six, and we'll just move on. Um, when J Joshua does pronounce this curse, it's fascinating how he goes and he says, like, there's this, this curse. It's going to cost you your firstborn and your youngest son um, to rebuild this city, right? The city of, of sin, which as we discussed, um, you know, Rahab's prostitution, former prostitution kind of embodied the whole city in that way, like that they had turned their backs against the creator God. And so to rebuild that city, it was going to come at a heavy cost. And so Joshua goes and lays down this curse. But the true Joshua, as as you uh, beautifully put in your in the prayer that you led us through, um, our Lord Jesus, instead of putting the curse on the enemies of God, he becomes the curse, and he pays yeah. the cost himself. Because in a way of speaking, he is both the firstborn and the youngest son of God. Well, since he's the only son. I mean, he's both the firstborn who represents um, represents God, right? Who, um, yeah, it's kind of the best way of putting it, who has like that authority of God as the firstborn uh, represents his family. But also he's the youngest son in the sense of like, he's like the beloved son, the treasured son. Like we think of like Joseph, um, who for at least the first 17 years of his life was the the youngest son of his father, the, fun of, uh, the son of his old age, it says, right? So, I mean, it's just, that's right. really interesting how you get this, this, um, I mean, it foreshadows chapter seven, but it's, it foreshadows the Lord Jesus himself who just reverses Joshua and instead of like cursing somebody else's firstborn and youngest son is the firstborn and youngest son who just becomes the curse for the sake of the enemies of God. And he who had no sin became sin for us. Yes. And, yes. and bore the curse. Yes, exactly. Well, without any further ado, let's let's go ahead and, and press on here. So, yes, we have this 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 foreboding, this ominous signal um, being set up. Achan is is cursing in a, in a way of speaking, but through his disobedience, uh, the people of Israel. So, okay, let's read what actually happens here. Let's take it through verse nine. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, "Go up and spy out the land." And the men went up and spied out I, and they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack I. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of I. And the men of I killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? What that would that we have been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So there, there it is, the disaster, the, the, the punishment, right? The, the consequence is this disastrous defeat, right? They, they, they check it out. Oh, yeah, we can take them easy, right? And they just get embarrassed. And, and, and really, it seems like embarrassment is 
is kind of the, the, the thread throughout this, right? It's like, Hey, what are people going to say about us? Right. That we, we've had this reputation, right? Remember we talked about Rahab, um, even saying like, we've seen that your God is the God of who, who is in heaven and is the God of the earth, you know, because of all the things he's been doing for you. But what are they going to say about us? What are they going to say about you? Right. It's it's embarrassment, uh, shame. I think that seems to be the big problem. What, what are your thoughts? Yes. Yes. And the, uh, uh, the fact that uh, it was thought that a small group of people, uh, 3,000, could go up against AI. And, and I seems not to be a very big place because uh, later we find out they only had about 2,000 warriors. Mm. So Joshua, from a military standpoint, probably makes a reasonable decision, but he's obviously not aware of what's going on, which is causing the Lord's anger. Right. And um, I sometimes like to think of the difference between anger and hatred. Hatred is kind of this thing that eats at you, but anger, you know, you can let that go. But it comes when it's needed, and there is even a righteous anger that uh, we as human beings are allowed to have. Um, but then the anger needs to be taken taken care of, and it leaves, and you... Uh, uh, and you re- are restored to your former self, but the thing that you're angry about needs being taken care of, and Joshua doesn't yet know what needs being taken care of, and he's obviously despairing because he now feels that the reputation they've garnered for being a people that cannot be conquered is now going to go up in dust. It's interesting right. that the word Shabarim, where they... Uh, uh, where they uh, uh, came to um, right. means something like the striking or the uh, the breaking might have mm-hmm. been a stone quarry. It suggested, mm-hmm. and it's there's a comparison between you strike the rock and break it to maybe also striking at an army and breaking its formation into pieces. Well, right, right. I mean, it really is something too, right? I mean, because it does say, I mean, you know, we, we, and we talked about in numbers how you know, there, there's a chance that we're not exactly interpreting all these numbers exactly right. But just like as we have it presented here, you know, here they go. They send like two or 3,000 men, right? And it, it's not like, you know, half of them die. And so like they're, they're forced right. to call like a reasonable retreat. Um, like 36 men die, which of course is terrible, but I mean, that's a very small proportion. I mean, it seems like, as you were suggesting, that it's it's like what they've what's really happened is that they were sent into disarray. They were scattered. They were they were terrified, right? right. And just everybody right. ran away with their tail between their legs. And that's I mean, in some ways, what makes it even more embarrassing. Indeed, and I think the uh, uh, the people of Israel are wondering. You, you wonder if there might be some foreboding, which for me is seen in Joshua's reaction. A typical military commander in a situation like this, his uh, force defeated by a smaller force with a loss of only 1% of your own force would say, time to regroup and, re- and attack. But right. Joshua seems to know something else is going on, hence his tremendous... Uh, uh, 
deprecation of himself before the Lord, laying prostrate in ashes and all. He knows something is wrong. Right. Well, that that's well said because I mean, isn't it something? He he is asking lots of questions, right? And um, and it's it's telling too that like in verse nine, right? Like it isn't it isn't like he's just concerned for his own reputation, right? Like like we talked about this before, how you know God continually says like I'm going to elevate your name in the eyes of all the people and and all the rest of it, right? Um, but but Joshua is more concerned about the people. Um, he he rightly has a sort of um humility that prefigures our own Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, he knows the problem of embarrassment. The problem of them losing their reputation is they lose their safety. Because in verse 9, when they, that this bad reputation, what's he saying? The Canaanites uh, and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. So if they know that we're easy pickings, they're all going to be gunning for us, right? So that that's the problem with having this sort of embarrassment and losing the reputation, right? I mean, you're, you're really losing the rest, the, the Sabbath rest that God is, is giving when, when you bring this sort of shame upon yourselves. And it's, as you said, even though he's, he, he's asking these questions, like, hang on, what's going on here, right? Like, how can this be? Like, what, what are you going to do? What, what can I say? Um, it's because he knows something, and that what does he know? Well, he he knows what was promised him back in chapter one, that wherever he goes, right, wherever he like steps foot, um, uh, what was the what was the the phrasing in Joshua chapter one? But like wherever he goes, right, God's going to be with him, and he's going to be given success, right? It says there like in verse five of chapter right. one, uh, right. as I was with right. Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Right. And he, and he goes on like again and again, like, you know, you will not be dismayed. You know, you will you will have success. And, and so it's just like, hang on, what's going on? If God made this promise, then the only reason why I'm not seeing it is because God, there, there's something going on with God. And, and so he, he understands in faith that he needs to not go to his like, you know, commanders and be like, hey, let's work out a new strategy or something like that. Right. We're not doing it the right way. He knows he needs to put himself prostrate before the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah, and he's got to be thinking that somehow, in some way, God's clear rules about what was to be done had been violated, even though at that particular point Joshua didn't know yet what it was. Right. Yes. Right. He 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 must have known that, uh, just in faith, like, hey, it's it's something going on with God. I need to talk to God. Is actually what the thing I need to do most is. So. Uh, so this is about like the halfway point here. Um, we only have like about a minute before our break. Let me just start reading the next section and we'll just, and we'll just resume it after the break here. Right. Um, so, so this then is the response. Um, this is God speaking from the Ark of the Covenant, it seems. So this isn't like the, the, in the form of the warrior that he saw earlier before Jericho. So here it is picking it up in verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, and they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things. 
from among you. All right, we'll pause right there. But yes, like, so the devoted things idea is coming up again, right? The things that are attached to this curse idea. So hang with us. We're looking at Joshua chapter seven here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. Touching the lives and the hearts of our listeners with the Word of Christ. Sharper Iron is such an incredible, amazing gift. I thank you so much for what it's doing for me and what I know it must be doing for a lot of other people. God bless. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314-996-1542. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Worldwide KFUO. In the Jura Mountains, a boy and his grandfather are trapped in their chalet. A fierce snowstorm has cut off all paths of rescue, and that's just the beginning. Grandfather, move! Get behind me! When doubt, danger, and death surround you, will your faith survive, or will it be buried in the snow? Based on a true story, on the next Lamplighter Theater. Saturday mornings at 11 on Worldwide KFUO. Hello, this is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week, you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in, and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Joshua chapter 7, this story of this curse that befalls the people because they've taken the devoted things, the sin of Achan, a name um, which our guest, Pastor Ingo Dutzman, uh, LCEF ambassador, um, who lives in Maine, but... um, I guess the headquarters of, or the center of the region there in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, who our guest was just saying, right, has a name that, um, I mean, is, is already kind of ominous, right? Like it has, it has this connection with the ideas of trouble, right? Um, you know, things that are, uh, things are, things are awry, right? So, uh, here's this story. We were kind of just in the middle of, of continuing this, uh, this next paragraph here, God is now responding to Joshua's question, a question that he asked in faith um, because he believes the promises of God. And so he knows that the only reason why something's going on is because there must be a problem between them and God. And so um, God's giving the response. We're just in the middle of it. So we're going to get back into this and and keep reading, finish the paragraph. Um, But before we do, I just want to make sure that I do invite all of our listeners who are listening live I know a lot of you guys listen to the podcast um, and a lot of you guys like might be listening like in the car or something like that. So um, not you guys, but um, if you happen to be, you know, listening at home and have your hands free, you can give a call for any questions or comments you have 1-800-730-2727 or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850 or you can always send an email to kfuo at kfuo.com. 
www.lutheranheritage.org. Also, want to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check them out at lhfmissions.org. They have another really cool story on their website um, under their news section about LHF publishing their 92nd small catechism translation. Um, this one is uh, in Swedish, actually, which isn't the first time it's translated in Swedish, but wouldn't you know, uh, language keeps changing and keeps moving. So you got you got to update these these translations and also you know these uh it, it's so great the the catechisms that we put out that it's not just luther's catechism it has a an explanation section in the back right and so um updated and things like that so i mean that's tremendous like 90 second um you know different language edition so like depart from this stuff that we're familiar with anyway so check them out again lhfmissions.org so let's let's go back into the text we're looking at joshua chapter 7 we picked up at verse 10 God's giving his response, and the, the reason what's, what's going on here is you've taken the devoted things. Isn't it something the way, the way it puts it there, right? They have become devoted for destruction, right? So if you're going to take those things, then, then you're going to share their fate, right? Like, you know, so whoa. Um, and so the response, we were just in the middle of verse uh, 13 and 14, I believe, um, where, you know, go and consecrate yourselves, and here then is verse 14. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near by man, come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. So a couple things going on here, right? Like one, uh, like we were just saying, it's like, it's as if, if they, if they take the devoted things and they also become devoted to destruction. So th there's that, like, they're not like invincible. Clearly this is what the defeated eye has shown. But then also, I mean, it's interesting, the procedure here, it's going to be like a random search, right? It's like if we pull your name out of this hat, right, and you hap and we search your stuff and you happen to, you know, have this, you are in trouble, right? So, I mean, interesting procedure that they're employing too. Your, your thoughts on this section here that we just read, verses 10 yeah, through I, uh, 15. I see the, uh, the order in which this is done, my assumption is that some word is given to the people about how this will be done. And to me, I, I see God's mercy in this. A person, the, the culprit in this case, has the opportunity to come forward sooner. In other words, mm -hmm. when, uh, when Judah is called, he realizes, well, okay, yeah, that's certainly my tribe. And then when uh, uh, Shinar is called, yeah, that's my clan, and so on. So... Um, he realizes it's getting closer to him. In the end, of course, it is him because he's the one that's that's pulled out. But there seems to be almost a, a merciful sense about this, giving people time to figure this out. This doesn't happen uh, like uh, uh, daytime TV in a matter of minutes. I think this takes <sighs> some time to go from yeah. one to the next. 
Right. Yeah, no, uh, certainly. We've seen that before, right? Just how, you know, uh, what was it that they, when they were marching all in formation, they had to be like a thousand yards behind the Ark of the Covenant. Because why? There's so many people. There's no way you're going to be able to see and coordinate your movements, right? Unless you have like a really big distance, right? right? Like 10 football fields, right? So, I mean, all this coordination with this many people and these kinds of groups, it it takes some time. Um, and, and so, yeah. right, I do think that uh, that makes a lot of sense. I do think you know, th- this does feel an awful lot like one of these things where, you know, you line up all the kids and you say, I'm giving you a chance, right? The, the one of you who... <laughs> who did it right like you can just step forward and then the rest you don't have to get punished right you know i mean like kind of one of one of these moments where well right you know i mean so there is something merciful in that god is saying like look i i mean because none of you are fessing up i am justified in punishing all of you together right as i did with i um but here is a chance uh for us to just deal with the individual who's doing this right and i'm not going to wipe out because he couldn't because he couldn't go ahead yeah put yourself in Aiken's shoes yeah he's probably thinking there were so many devoted things i personally helped destroy them all i kept was a little bit it's almost like a uh, uh ananias and sapphira type thing you know they sell oh, the yeah. property they give they give the bulk of it, of the proceeds, uh, to Peter, and yet still, um, they don't fare well. Right, right, yeah. No, it's it's the the lying and the deception, right? I mean, I mean, isn't that something? Because um, just the way that you know, Peter says it's it's not to flesh and blood that you've lied; it's to the Holy Spirit that you've lied, right? And that's and that's why it becomes such a problem. Same thing here in verse 11, right? They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. And, and really, ultimately, they've lied to God um, in the process of doing this. So, I mean, it's a, ser- it's a serious offense. It's an offense before God. And, and God is being merciful because he could have said, like, you know, like, you know, th- this people, you've done this. I'm just I'm going to let the, you know, the people from I have their way with you. Or he could have said, like, you know, I'm going to pick the tribe that did this and, you know, Judah, goodbye, right? No more Judah, right? But he's he's going to narrow it down, like, you know, man by man, as it says, right? And and so it's it's uh, it's merciful in the way that he's, like, giving it this opportunity to spare um, the rest of them. Though I, I got to imagine, I don't know, this, this whole thing about taking them, taking them by a lot, I mean, I, I guess I'm not, I'm not positive if, if the idea would be like, I don't know, like the, the order that we do this is going to be random, right? And it just, um, if, if that's the idea, or if it's just kind of like, you know, here's Aiken, like, oh, well, pff, what are the odds that they'll find me, right? And then they call Judah, and he's like, oh. And then they, and then they call, like, Zara, right? And he's like, what, whoa. And then, and then they call, you know, uh, you know, like, Carmen. He's like, what's going on? Like, what are the odds that seriously they're going to call my name, right? And uh, he, he gets picked. I mean, that must have been... Uh, a harrowing experience. Probably also why he ends up coming clean because he knows yeah. that he's the one. Yeah, I, I, I wonder. He's, it, he's seen the process unfold and he yeah. sees it coming closer and closer to him with every lot of the draw. Right. Right. I, I wonder if, if maybe the process is this God using his, his providence, right, to to elicit, like you were saying, elicit this confession, right? Um, to get the confession out there, um, 
you know, like precisely so that um, it's not like everyone keeps their silence and, and and no one fesses up, and then God has to just punish everybody. And so he he, he goes and proceeds this way so that Aiken's just like, okay, I can't take it anymore. Yes, I, I'm the one who did it, right? I mean, it's there's this kind of like, I, I, not, well, not exactly we'll like an see, interrogation the, technique. The but. other thing is that Joshua also, I think, uh, helps the eventual confession by the endearing way in which he speaks to Aiken. Um, mm. Not as a lord, but kind of like a father. Calls him my son. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And I really want to take a look at that because it's... um. I, I think I think we need there's a couple of really really big questions that actually come up from that, especially when you consider, as you were saying, that, that I mean I mean really the I, I don't know, the 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 benevolent way, right, that, that Joshua actually addresses him. So well, let's go ahead and, and read this next section here and we can actually kind of take a look at that question. So we read through verse what was it, fifteen. So here's sixteen. God's given the instructions. And now they are going to follow through. So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites man by man. And Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar and two hundred shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel. And they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. So, the yes, Valley of Trouble. Um, yeah, the Valley of Trouble, right? There's like the, the footnote that we have there at the end of it. So, yeah, I mean, a, a, a grisly um, end, right? But, you know, merciful in the sense that, you know, it doesn't, it isn't like everybody anymore, right? It says that God relents from his burning anger, right? So, like, there, there's the grace, right? But it, it is it is a big question, right? You know, Joshua seems to be speaking graciously to him, right? Like, hey, you know, confess your sin, right? Uh, give glory to God. 
and then i mean to his credit i mean he confesses his sin right so but here's the thing right like well if he's going to confess his sin why does he get stoned to death yeah well we do the same thing in our criminal court system today i mean we we are willing to forgive a person um but not until they've served for 30 years um, right. But in this case, of course, it's capital punishment. I mean, he loses his life. But generally speaking, uh, just because you are forgiven in, in our daily life, we make mistakes. We sin against the Lord. David says, against thee, thee only have I sinned, O God. In confirmation class, I tell my kids, hey, look, if uh, uh, one of you hits the other in the face, you're actually striking God as well as hurting your friend. Uh, it's God who gave the command that you should not vent your anger that way. So right. you may be forgiven, but you still have to pay the price, the punishment that comes from the fact that you've done the evil deed. And in this case, God made clear in his condemning the devoted things that the punishment for keeping them is death. Right. So I don't think that's a good time for God suddenly to say, I changed my mind. I don't think right. God changes his mind. No, no, that, that's that's well said. So, I mean, like a few a few things there, right, that, I mean, ultimately we're talking about the, it's the law of God and that e even though there's lots of different ways that these things get carried out, whether it's the, the legal system of the people of Israel, right, because, I mean, it is a legal system. I mean, like Joshua, he's a representative of God, uh, you know, in a, um, in a maybe even prophetic sense, you might say, right, and even in an intercessory sense, right, an inter intercessory uh, role is uh, that of a priest, right? So, I mean, there's kind of these sorts of, um, you know, in our Lutheran terminology, what we would describe as kind of a kingdom of the right hand kind of things going on, but it's also kingdom of the left hand. And so it, it works as a, as a government, as a government like today, in our, as you were saying, in our criminal justice system. And even though there might be forgiveness, right? Even though there might be um, real repentance even, right? I mean, like, I mean, this happens that, that somebody, you know, in these cases of murder, right, even, that the the victim's families, they might forgive the murderer, right? And they're still executed, right? Or they, they still right. have to be given their punishment because even That's though there is forgive, Yeah, because yeah. even though there's forgiveness in, in, in the right-hand kingdom, right, that doesn't mean that the left-hand kingdom all of a sudden doesn't, doesn't carry out the punishment, right? I mean... It's like, you know, if a professor, you know, like, for instance, if you're like a teacher, right, or if you're a parent, right, and, and you're Christian, it's not as if you're going to say like, oh, you know, my, my student or oh, my child, like, well, you said you're sorry, so uh, no punishments, right, because I'm a Christian, I have to forgive you, so I'm never going to punish you, right? I mean, like, what would the result be if, if children, like, were never disciplined by their parents or if students were, like, always given A's? regardless of any of their failings in class, right? I mean, it just, the, the thing would fall apart. The left-hand kingdom still has to carry out the punishment even when there is forgiveness. It would certainly be anarchy if we didn't follow through on the punishment that we said was necessary. Right. Right, exactly. So, so that, so there's the thing. God is behind both the kingdom of the right and the kingdom of the left. And so even though, I, I mean, it, in, in a sense, and, and this is and this is maybe an even more provocative question here then, 
So is is he then forgiven um, in that right-hand kingdom sense? Because Joshua does, I mean, the way, as you said, he addresses him with, with some amount of... Um, you know, an endearing tone, right? My son, give glory yeah, to the yeah. God of Israel and give praise to him, right? And then he confesses his sin. Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And he tells him exactly what he did. He he says he coveted, right? So is he, despite his left-hand kingdom punishment, forgiven in the right-hand kingdom? Well, I like to think that he is. Uh, absolutely. Uh, he's punished in the left-hand kingdom, the kingdom that demands it because God set the rules and you didn't follow the rules, Aiken, so now you're paying the price. But in terms of his eternal life, I would like to think that Aiken is in heaven. He has made the confession. Right. He has been forgiven. Yeah, and, 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 and I, ultimately the punishment that, uh, that he deserves is ultimately carried by Christ on the cross. Right. Yes. Yes. I, 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 I really, I agree. I, I really think that I, I want to see it the same way too. I don't see anything in the text that, um, that, that says like, oh, and he was not forgiven. Right. I mean, even the bit about the stones, right. Uh, that there's like a stones that like, you know, it's heaped up remains to this day. You know, the, uh, the author says, um, e- even that, that's not saying like, oh, and this guy like stands condemned for all eternity. I mean, it's just, it's it's a warning sign, right? It's like, hey guys, let's right. not do this exactly. again, right? And I mean, it's, it's a warning it's, for right. those who come after. It's not exactly. a sign of eternal punishment right. for the person who committed the the sin in the first place. Right, right. And, I mean, and that's I mean, that's what we've seen already, right? In the last couple of chapters, like why did they set up the twelve stones as a memorial in the river, and the twelve stones, um, you know, outside of the river, right, as a memorial? Like, well, so their children would know, and hey. What, what's what's up with these 12 stones and that they would be told the story and that they would learn, right? So, I mean, this is being done so that the rest of the people will learn, right? Um, but it's not to, like, say, like, this is, like, eternal damnation on this guy. Right, right. Well, so here, here's a question um, that, that somebody has raised here. So, okay, so he's punished according to the left-hand kingdom, um, but perhaps he's forgiven uh, according to the right-hand kingdom. Well... But then why is his family killed as well? I mean, and it's not even just his family, right? But it says here his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all he had, right? I mean, like all this stuff, his house is destroyed, um, not even just him singly. So what do you suppose that's about? Like, how does that work? How does that seem just? Yeah, I I look at this uh, two ways. Uh, In the first case, uh, there obviously are examples where God's instructions about the destroying of the enemy is uh, so thorough that nothing lives, right? No animal, no man, woman, or child. Uh, So while I believe that that is true and it happened and that was God's rule for that moment in time, That's not his rule for today. So I don't think that we have that same thing going on today. At the same time, in the text, it's not totally clear that his children are killed as well. It does say them, 
but it only says him in some cases after the actual stoning. So I, I'm not sure. Are the animals all killed? I think probably they are. Perhaps the children are spared. But again, given what I started with, if in fact the children are killed, killed as well, that was God's rule in that circumstance under those conditions. And uh, similarly to Achan, I don't think they're punished eternally. I don't think that they're in hell. I think they also can still have the promise of eternal life, but they suffer because of their father's sins. You know, God says uh, uh, way back in uh, Exodus 20, when, uh, when we have the, the Ten Commandments given, that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers, right, upon the, right. the third and fourth generation of those who yeah. hate him, but the reverse to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. We, we do see throughout Scripture, right, that's well put, that there is like a pattern of uh, th- this kind of corporate personality that that it's not as if it's just one person. It never really is. So, I mean, we, in our, in the perspective of 2020, right, we think to ourselves like, well, each one of us is our own individual and we make, I I make my decisions and they're my own and no one influences me. I influence other people, right? Like, I mean, we, we think of ourselves so independently, but I mean, the truth of it is like we really function each one of us as a, as a part of a larger organism, really, you know, I mean, and, and this is, of course, why, like, when people are truly isolated, right, I mean, it's like a sickness of the soul, that that isolation, and, like, the mind starts falling apart in in the in the condition of, of loneliness, right? Um, we, we are um, simultaneously individuals and also part of larger things, these people groups, families, communities, and the rest, and so... Um, when one person sins, right, it's not as if it's really just one person sinning, right? Because what, what, uh, what does he say, right? He says he had covetousness in his heart, right? And that's why he did this, right? Do you think it was right. really just him? Or do we think that, like, maybe what was going on was that, you know, I'm just, I'm just this is a bit speculative, but this is just to make the point, right? Like, m- maybe, like, the people at home, had been complaining, right, and saying, like, you know what, like, you know, we, what's going on? We, we've got the short end of the stick here in the in among the, the clans of Judah, right? These other guys, like, they have all this stuff, and we, we get nothing, and you work so hard, and you, I mean, don't you deserve more, Dad, right? Like, you know, and, you know, and, and maybe, like, his wife, like, and you know what, you, you, you don't have enough because you're not being aggressive enough, and the other guys are doing it. That's what you ought to do, right? I mean, just think of Job, right? His friends were telling him that, you know, curse God and die, right? So, uh, you know, to what extent is his own family basically, like, involved in the sin that produced this action, right? I mean, to a a very large extent, they, they might have been. And furthermore, he's hiding it in his tent, right? They would have seen him do it. They would have known about it, but they're keeping mum, right? So, I mean, they're hiding it. They're in on the deception. So, I mean, like, all these things together... I mean, it's not as if they were innocent. Is is the is the key idea? And of course, as you yeah, said, this doesn't this doesn't mean that you know in the United States we need to like rewrite all of our laws so that every time someone's punished, we punish their whole family. But it wouldn't be crazy 
if we did. I mean, there there is actually a perspective where this makes sense justice-wise. Think also of the uh, interesting image of the land that is uh, conquered, is promised by the Lord to be the promised land for the people of Israel, and, and therefore that land has an aspect of the holiness that comes with the people of Israel and the one true God who leads them. And yet into that holiness is buried this forbidden treasure, (laughs) including the robe of Shinar. I saw a footnote somewhere that apparently uh, there is a reference to the king of Nineveh in Scripture wearing Mm. a robe of Shinar. So it must have been something quite spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, no. Um, you know, th- th- there it is. Like, ooh, look at th- look at this pretty thing. And um, of course, we remember that in the instructions that Joshua gave, he said, um, the only thing you're taking is the the silver and the gold and the iron and the bronze. That stuff, right? We, we were saying they probably would have like melted down or, or, or reforged or reshaped for purposes of the purposes of God and put in, put into the treasury of God. Um, the other stuff was all going to be put to fire, right? Put to the sword. And so he shouldn't have been taking that robe. That that should have been destroyed. Um, and then the silver that he took for himself and the and the bar of gold, that stuff should have been given um, to God. So, I mean, he didn't destroy something he should have destroyed, and he stole something that should have been given um, both part of the transgression here. Uh, only a minute left here, but just maybe like one final word looking at this all in um, in, in in kind of like a, as a whole you know, so here's Joshua carrying out justice, right? But how does this anticipate like the true Joshua, like we were saying earlier, and the way that justice was dealt with him? Uh, in terms of Achan and the true justice dealt with him, well, again, I, I see this as part of the much bigger story of the eventual conquest of of the the holy line by joshua and his people and of course it didn't even happen all in joshua's lifetime he was dead before it was completed but the fact of the matter is that this was a moment in time when israel again was forced to take stock of the fact there is one true god he is the one who sets the rules when we break those rules there are consequences, and I think right. for the entire nation, it allowed them to reflect on who they were, who they belonged to, and hopefully where they would end up. Right, right, for the sake of sparing the, the whole people, that they would be redeemed one day by our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much, brother. Good having you on. We're all out of time. I hear the music and the message going on. <laughs> but everybody, this was... Uh, God bless you. Yes, God bless you too, brother. Everybody else, Pastor Ingo Dutzman, LCF Ambassador up in Maine. Till next time, peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.